everybody. James Shepard here with the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is a special episode. I wanted to bring you a conversation that I had with Ben Griefer, the Chief Operating Officer at Maverick. We were talking about how to scale an ISO. And so we had a super interesting conversation on a recent live event. So my team kind of edited that down into a podcast episode version for you because I just think it's a great conversation. I start off talking about you know my view of things and how we need to move forward. And then I interview Ben with his insights from working with Maverick. Uh, Maverick is a paid sponsor with CC Sales Pro. So we've done some advertising work with them and some consulting work with them. Um, but I really love what they're doing both on the low risk side and the high risk side. I think they have some pretty cool stuff happening so let's dive in and listen into this conversation from my last live event on scaling an ISO with the W2 agents. All right. My name is James Shepard. I'd like to thank you so much for taking time to join me today for this event on scaling your ISO with W2 agents. Now, let me right off the bat explain who this event is for. And so you understand the uh, information that's going to be shared. And then I'll give you a little bit of the agenda real quick, and then we'll dive in. So this event is for you if you are an experienced merchant services sales professional and you want to grow and really build a payments business. It's also for you if you are already an ISO, you already have a team, maybe you have a 1099 team, maybe you have an inside team, and you're looking to scale and grow. Uh, it could also be for you if you already have some W2 agents, but you're kind of struggling to get that off the ground. That is what we're going to be talking about today and also kind of why that model works so well. So I'm going to do a, just a, a real quick thing here, go through a few slides. And my goal is to give you just a real high level look at the concepts that I'm going to cover in this ebook that is a probably probably the longest ebook I've ever actually released. So um, it's got a just a ton of information and resources on how to build a W2 sales team totally free. We're going to give that to you at the end of the event. That'll be a free download, but I'm going to give you some of the highlights and give you some of my thoughts on it now, as far as the challenges we're facing. Then after that, I'm going to introduce um, Ben Griefer from uh, Maverick, the chief operating officer over there. Tons and tons of experience working with ISOs to scale. We're going to talk with him and also about what Maverick is doing to help ISOs scale a W2 team. And of course, Maverick is the sponsor of this particular event. I reached out to them. Um, probably about three months ago and asked them to work with me on this because I saw some challenges that my ISO clients were facing and I was looking for the right company to kind of help them through that. And I felt like Maverick was the right company. I've always had a great relationship with them. So with that being said, let's dive in and talk about scaling your ISO with W2 agents. So number one, the goal, okay? The goal of course is growing mids. Now, What's interesting to me is that right now, as we're on this event, in my opinion, this is the most profitable time to build a book of business in the payments industry. And there's two things, in my opinion, that are driving that profitability. Number one is the value per account as far as all the different differential pricing, you know, dual pricing, compliance surcharging, cash discounting, et cetera. There's all these different pricing methods that are providing opportunities. Then you've got B2B where you've got interchange optimization. And so there's a profit per mid that I frankly did not see when I got into the business, I guess now 14 years ago uh, and was selling payment processing, you know, my average residual per account per mid was very low relative to what we're seeing today. But here's the thing. 
if you build the book of business correctly, not only is there this huge profit per mid, but there's also this crazy lifetime value, right? When I started 14 years ago, uh, I was selling almost exclusively standalone terminals, the hypercoms, you know, and all those. And, um, you know, I came in towards the end of the, you know, uh, the hypercom big, big rush and all that. And so, you know, those people, you know, they would stay with you for 12 months, 24 months, maybe 36 months. I tried to provide really good support. And so that helped a little bit, but you know, I didn't really have anything other than my support to keep them as clients. Well, today that's all changed, right? If you're selling correctly and you're out there selling integrated payments, point of sale systems, um, you know, sp software that's specific to certain verticals, whatever the case might be, if you're selling payment processing correctly, targeting verticals with specific solutions and integrating payments into that, the lifetime value of these accounts is ridiculous, right? Um, a lot of companies, it's like we're almost too early on to even have the right calculations to know what the lifetime value is because some of these accounts are staying for you know, six, seven, eight, nine years, right? And so, um, you know, I myself am, uh, you know, right now people are like, James, what merchants are you selling? Well, we're we're selling 20, 25 mids a month that are self-storage, uh, you know, companies because we have software for that, right? And it's integrated payments. I mean, I don't think these people are ever going to cancel. We haven't had anybody cancel yet. I don't even know how they would cancel. Like all their, the people that rent their storage units are all on auto pay. You know, like to me, that's the future is these really valuable books of business. So that's the, the goal or the opportunity. But what's the challenge? Well, what I'm seeing as I'm working with ISOs is that there are two primary challenges to this kind of legacy model 1099 sales team, and that is the complexity and the lack of focus. So first of all, let's talk about the complexity. If you wanna build a really solid book of business in the payments industry today, it is complicated. Right, you have to know about point of sale systems. You might have to know about uh, gateway integrations. Um, you know what's a var sheet. You know um, you have to understand the complexity, maybe even of a particular business. Right. So, as an example, when I started selling payment processing, I would walk into a business, and the truth is, I didn't really need to understand anything about that business, other than do you take cards? All right. And it's like, okay, here's your credit card machine. It's going to replace the one you have now, and you're going to swipe a card through it, right? That was the extent of the knowledge I needed to have about that business, really, you know, at that point in time. Today, that is not at all the case, right? We now have to really understand the business we're going after. What are their needs? Do they need inventory management control? Do they need, um, you know, advanced menu functionality? Are they tracking servers? Um, you know, whatever point of sale things are going on there, or is it B2B and we've got to think about being able to text an, an, an invoice and all that. Like, there's just all this complexity where it's not only the technology and payments, but it's also the complexity of having to understand the business case itself and how payment processing needs to work for that particular type of business. Okay, what about lack of focus? Well, again, this is a challenge where I see a lot of companies that's like, wow, we have um, you know, all these you know, people out here that are 1099 that are not fully committed. And the problem is they have this lack of focus on what you're trying to offer. And as a result, they're just not very good at it, right? And they're not very committed to it. And so you have this problem where you're always spinning your wheels in the mud a little bit, trying to get going. And so I talked to a lot of small time operators that have, you know, a 
you know, local business and like, well, I've got, you know, I signed up 27 referral partners and I'm getting three deals a month from them or six deals a month from them. And they're like, James, how do I get to 40? And, you know, that's the problem I've been solving for the last decade in the consulting side is working with ISOs to scale up their, their team. And we, you know, for a long time, it was all 1099 working that. And I started probably about eight years ago. I got my first client that was W2 salespeople. And we started working on that. I've done inside call centers and, and everything. And so, you know, as I've seen that, and I'm also consulting on both sides, I see that trying to build a 1099 team um, is really challenging because of the complexity of the industry today and because of the lack of focus and lack of effort. You know, the, the salespeople just aren't prospecting. They're not doing the work, uh, you know, put in. And again, I want to clarify something. I mean, I would assume most of you on here are 1099 or you are a, a business owner of an ISO. So I'm not in any way against that model. I'm trying to say for those of you that are at that point, your experience and everything, how do you get to the next level? How do you scale up and increase the number of mids per month that you're able to do? The people that are jumping in here are those of you that are experienced. So you've been around a long time. Many of you have been around longer than I have. I've been here about 14 years in the business. And so you're seeing these shifts, right? You're understanding that what we need to sell to merchants today is significantly more complex than it was 10 years ago, right? But the trade-off is higher margins, longer lifetime uh, value of the account, much higher lifetime value of the account, uh, almost insanely high lifetime values of the accounts. But we have to solve these problems of complexity and lack of focus. How do we do that? Well, we do that with a W-2 sales team, okay? Um, let's see if we get to this one here. Here we go. And so we do this with a W-2 sales team. And the primary reason that we're seeing so much more success with the W-2 sales team than we are with 1099 legacy model is because of training and accountability, right? It used to be someone would come into this industry. You know, when I came into the industry, I was put on like a one-hour webinar, right? And it was like, okay, good luck. Get out there, right? Um, that doesn't really work anymore, right? We have to understand deeply what we're selling. And so now we need training. Well, you can't require a 1099 to really do much of anything, right? But when you're talking about W-2, you can do really extensive training. The best uh, companies at building W-2 sales teams they're very intentional about training. Um, they have a you know video training library. They've got all this different resources for their salespeople, and they're going vertical specific and helping them understand. Hey, here's how we go after auto repair. Here's how we go after pizza shops. Here's how we go after hair salons. And they're choosing certain verticals and helping them to go after that with training. Now the other part of it though is accountability, right? What I find so interesting about this business is that there are these two variables, and I'll talk more about this in the next slide, but there are these two variables to success when you're building a sales team, whether it's 1099 or W2. And those two variables are contacts and closing rate, right? Contacts and closing rate. Well, how do you solve these two variables? In other words, if your sales team was getting a lot of contacts on your behalf, and if they were closing at a good rate, you would be growing and having a lot of mids. So if you're not growing and you're not seeing a lot of mids from a sales team, that tells you one of two things is happening or both, either you're, they're not getting a lot of contacts on your behalf. There's that lack of focus, right? And, or they're not closing the accounts. Well, what I found is the only re real variable here, if you have a W2 sales team is going to be the closing percentage, right? So if we can find people who know how to sell and then we train them really well on what it is we want them to accomplish and what we want them to sell, who we want them to target, what solutions they're going to offer, 
there's the, you know, that's, that takes away that half of that equation. And the only half left is contacts. Well, if it's a W-2 employee and you're paying them a salary plus commission, guess what? You require them to go prospecting. Otherwise they don't get to keep their job. So you're able to avoid this huge cash drain, you know, over a 12 to 18 month period because you have expectations and people have to hit those. And so it's training and accountability. So the reason I'm so bullish on the W2 model is because as I see the shift in the payments industry towards complexity, um, it, I see that and say, well, wait a second, what model works best there? Well, the model that works best is being able to train the agents to, you know, for this complex world and enforce that training. Um, and then it's also about the accountability that management can provide to get these people to take action. Because in this industry right now, if you can target a good, you know, gr group of verticals with good solutions and you can get people that know how to close sales that are trained and get them to take action, that's what you got to do. And you can build your portfolio. So let's get really practical. I've got one more slide. And then after this slide, I'm going to introduce um, ben from uh, from Maverick, and we're going to talk more with him about his insights and what he's seen. But I want to run through this process with you really quickly because one of the big questions I get almost every time uh, when I'm talking about W-2 is people will say to me, James, how am I going to hire a bunch of W-2 salespeople? And you know, I can't afford to have all these salespeople on salary or paying them hourly or whatever it is, right? Like I'm going to lose my shorts here if I hire these people as employees. Well, again, go back to what I just said. And remember, contacts and closing percentage, right? Those are the two variables we have to deal with. I worked with probably, I don't know, at least 25 or 30 ISOs uh, over the last decade that have built a successful W-2 sales team. And whether that could be inside sales, outside sales, doesn't matter. And what we've done is we've broken it down into several stages. And so I'm going to give you this very high level kind of two minute version of this slide. But again, this is what I deal with in the document that I'm going to give you at the end of this uh, totally free download. So hang around till the end so I can give you that document that you can download. And it's going to break all this down in very, very, very specific. Okay. So here we go. Right. Number one is recruiting. Okay. Recruiting has changed. All right. When you're recruiting, first of all, just recruiting W-2 versus 1099 is like a totally different world. You know, a lot of people will say, James, why on earth would a salesperson be W-2 in this industry and make 15%, 20% residual plus salary when they could be making a huge percentage split on their own? And the answer is you're thinking about different kinds of people, okay? Yes, there are people who definitely should be 1099. They're like yourselves, many of you on here, where you're independent, you're driven, you're entrepreneurial, you're willing to take risks, and you want to build a business yourself. But that's not how most people are. Most salespeople out there, they value consistency. They value, you know, they don't, they don't want to be taking huge risks. They don't want to risk not being able to pay their mortgage next month. So what they're looking for is they're looking for consistency, stability, as well as an opportunity to build something long-term. So when you mix things, and I give really specific compensation details in this document, but when you mix salary with, um, you know, a, a residual long-term, um, it's a huge deal for them. And so recruiting, first of all, you're going after a different type of person, somebody that's W-2, that's interested in that world. Um, but the other thing is you got to go after them with information. Okay. Um, I have a, a ISO that I'm working with right now. That's like the very, very beginning phases. They actually just hired their very first salesperson for a W-2 team. And we, when we went to do the recruiting, I talked to so many people, James, how do you find good people? I can't recruit anybody. Well, what we did is we created a custom 
ebook for them through the consulting and everything I was doing. We created a custom ebook for them. We created a recruiting ad. And the recruiting ad, the call to action wasn't, hey, call us if you're interested or respond or fill the form out. No, it was download this free ebook if you want to learn more. So you've got to go more with the approach of education for recruiting. People want to be educated today. They want to know what they're talking about before they speak to a, a live person. So respect that, right? And help them out with that. Okay. So that's recruiting. Um, training. Once you bring them in, you got to get them trained. You have to give them training video courses, but you also have to train them in the field. You got to show them how it's done and you got to work with them. So one of the, uh, you know, we go on to appointments here. One of the other ways we really are able to make this profitable a little faster is if we have a really good closer. So for many of you, that's you, right? So let's say you're an individual rep. You're a really good closer. You're making 40,000 a month residual. And you're like, how do I really scale the business? Well, what you do is you hire three salespeople, okay? And you, you, know, you recruit them, you get them trained, and you have them go out in the field and get appointments for you. And then you go and close the sales. What does this do? Well, it makes your time so much more productive that you're actually, and again, these portfolios are so valuable now that you are making a fortune off of the leads they're generating. And that's step one, right? So they get these appointments, they're trained. Then we have them get appointments. Then over time, three, four, five months, okay? We get these W-2 employees to the point where they're able to close a lot of deals themselves, right? And then we hire another one and we have them generate appointments for us until they're ready to close deals. And it's this process ongoing where it takes them maybe a month to get going and then they're generating leads for you. You're closing them. You're getting deals in the door. That's making it profitable. Then you hire the next one. They produce appointments and it just on and on it goes. And many times in one area, you can have three, four, five people that are covering a local market and they're generating a lot of deal flow, at least 30 deals a month, maybe even more than that right? So you can do that with, you know, going after these accounts, but you've got to have a process in place to do that. And you've got to expect them to get appointments and then deal. So it does take a little while to get it going, but there's, you got to have processes in place. The last thing I want to mention here on this one is minimums. And I, again, I talk a lot about this in the document um, on how to scale the ISO with W2 employees, but um, you have to have well-documented minimum expectations, right? There's minimum expectations. Every month they got to start out, not with sales expectations, but the first month it's about prospecting, right? Again, we hire somebody who knows how to close. We train them what variable is left. Contacts. So we enforce that. You have to make X number of contacts. Usually it's 20 a day is what I recommend. You have to watch and say, you have to walk into 20 businesses a day, right? Hopefully you get three, four, five good contacts every single day. If you don't do that, you don't get your weekly pay. Well, if they're walking into that many businesses and you're a good closer and you train them after a month, they're going to start giving you some really good appointments and you're going to be able to go close deals to cover the cost of their payroll, right? So that's how this whole process works. You got to have minimums right off the bat and you've got to enforce them clearly and transparently and you stick to those minimums. And then can you lose money? Absolutely. You are going to lose money on some salespeople. They're going to come in. They're going to milk you for the entire period of time that these minimums are in place, but there's a process and they know they're going to get terminated. And at a certain point, you terminate them because they, you know, didn't hit their, their numbers and you bring in the next one, right? That's just the nature of the beast. That's how it goes. You're not going to recruit the right person right off the bat every time, but you have a process that's going on and on, right? So, so let's recap and then I'm going to introduce Ben. So huge opportunity right now for you to build a portfolio of mids in this industry. Could not have picked a better time to do so. However, in order to do it, you're going to deal with complexity and lack of focus. 
right? How do we solve this? Well, complexity we solve by training the salespeople, recruiting people who are committed, W-2 employees, training them, right? Then we have to deal with lack of focus. How do we deal with that? Well, we have W-2 employees, we enforce prospecting activities. Right. So the whole system can work really, really well for you and you can begin to grow locally. For some of you, you need to hire your first salesperson, just one person, have them get appointments for you. Right. And some of you, it's like we already have a team. OK, well, look at these things. How's recruiting going? Are you spending a fortune on recruiting and not getting good candidates? Then you need to go more education. How's training going to your salespeople? Are they confident? Do they know what they're talking about? Right. What about appointment scheduling? Are they are we having people schedule appointments or are we expecting them to close deals right off the bat? which is unrealistic, right? Do we have minimums in place? Do they know exactly what they have to do to keep their job? And do they know exactly what they would do in order to lose their job? Is that clearly communicated in a written document? And is that document referenced on a regular basis of, hey, this is what you have to do, okay? So those are the keys, in my opinion. Again, we dive a lot more into that in the book, but without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and, and get, uh, Ben, if you wanna turn your uh, webcam on and everything here. Ben, how are you doing hey, today? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun already working with Maverick. And of course, we've done some things in the past already. And I was so familiar with what they had done. And today, Ben and I are going to talk about what he is seeing. So my perspective comes from the consultant. So I'm, you know, in the weeds, working with the clients, doing sales meetings, talking with them in that way. Ben and Maverick, they've built multiple companies with Maverick now. They are working with lots and lots of ISOs that are in the process of scaling and building a team. So Ben, could you start us off by just give us a little context of you? What's your journey been like in payments and how did you get to where you're at right now? Yeah, so I'm the chief operating officer here at Maverick. Uh, oversee everything, focuses on strategic partners, our underwriting because of some of the higher risk we work with, the technology development, um, but at the end of the day, you know, oversee everything. Um, I started in the industry in late 2011. That's when we started Maverick. We're family owned. So it was right around the same time. My father, he had spun off from another processing company, which he had co-founded back in 2000. Um, started as an agent office, ISO office. We're bootstrapped, self-funded. So I learned the industry as a sales agent. Um, we, we ran that model for a few years, realized, you know, how antiquated a lot of the processes are, um, lack of technology, and we, we decided to make the pivot to become a full service provider. And that's when we went into more of the focus around back office operations, technology development. I saw essentially an opportunity to build the infrastructure that I thought the ISOs out in our market really needed it deserved to scale and compete with, you know, also these companies like Stripe and Square, which were starting to enter the space. Yeah, love it. So let's let's zoom out a little bit and start with kind of big picture. I've already talked about a few trends that I'm seeing. What are you seeing, Ben? What are some of the trends that um, you feel like are really having an impact on your ISO partners today? Um, probably one of the biggest ones is just the overall adoption of technology. And it's been interesting because when you look at Square, Stripe, these kinds of providers, um, they've disrupted the market in a way where merchants now have kind of a taste of this more advanced technology, um, this more all-in-one solution to run their business. But a lot of merchants, I think they, they feel that the lack of that relationship and the personal touch um, is a pain point to their business. 
So uh, we see a lot of merchants come back to us through our ISO partners from a Square or a Stripe. And um, we've built kind of a program that allows, I think, the best of both worlds. So um, you have your traditional ISO market that builds this relationship with the merchant through the onboarding process all the way through, you know, ongoing processing, things like that. A lot of the times they act as kind of an escalation point. Um, but the interesting thing is you have this high level of expectation of technology that lacks in kind of the traditional ISO market. So that's where our white label dashboard has kind of helped um, a lot of your typical ISOs go to market with the technology, this all-in-one solution, um, but also scale out kind of a distribution network. So we've had a lot of success with um, ISO partners being able to scale through sub-agents. Um, we have around a five to one ratio, which is a pretty interesting statistic to look at where every direct agent we sign, they have around five sub-users. So to me, they're heavily leveraging our system, which is what the intention was, to bring on more you know, manpower downstream, which is cool because for them, they can also white label it for sub-agents, do whatever the case is, where you know, they can kind of build out the branding um, and go to market and just expand their net of feet on the street. You know, we look talk about the trends, but we actually get into the nitty gritty and the challenges that the ISOs are facing that come to you, they work with you. What are the pain points for them? What are they dealing with? Um, it's probably a mix of things. So a, a lot of it's balancing kind of the front end sales aspect of their business with the back end support, the technology, the infrastructure, you know, from processes, policies, things like that, to get it all you know, to become a well-oiled machine, right? So um, a lot of the times we'll have a new ISO come on board, they start utilizing our dashboard, they're able to kind of immediately benefit from the automation with onboarding, sub-user management. Uh, they can cut costs in some scenarios because we have our own e-sign, they don't need to use DocuSign anymore, they don't have to pay for that. Um, but the challenges are helping them kind of scale to the next level. Um, and the best way to do it is, you know, buttoning up processes, the back office, and then utilizing technology to work smarter. And then you're going to, in the long run, have a much bigger net kind of impact. Hmm. Yeah. So I love that. And so let's, you kind of brought this up already a little bit with the white labeling and some of that stuff, but I want to dig into that one, especially as it relates to the technology, because it's funny, like when I look back, you know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I was kind of like, ah, branding. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, you know, whatever. I'll have my little brand and I'll say I'm a, a broker or whatever. But like, as we've made these shifts in the market that are more technology focused, why has branding become such a big deal? I mean, every time I talk to an ISO, they're like, well, I got to have, have my logo everywhere. And, you know, they, ch they have a challenge with that. Why do you think there's been that kind of desire for the ISO, small ISOs to say, I want my brand everywhere. I want to have that brand recognition. What's the, what's the deal with that? So to me, um, you know, when you're a sales agent, ISO, and you're talking to a potential merchant, you you have this brand you've built from lead generation to cold calling to being reputable, and then all of a sudden you you know send them the merchant agreement, and it's a completely different company. And a lot of the times, that's like the initial point of friction. Um, they can the merchant can see that processor as an alternative solution. Maybe they feel like they can get a better deal if they go to them direct. So. Right. I'm a big believer in the brand because when you've built, you know, this whole, this brand, you've invested all this money with lead generation and all these things, you want that to be at the front line. 
right? Your merchant is your customer. You worked very hard to get it. And the processor, you know, Maverick, for example, we really are behind the scenes. We want to be looked at as a provider to our partners and our ISO partners. We want to be seen as, you know, their strategic partner and back end, not as this, you know, kind of alongside vendor or um, alternative solution, because a lot of times it also confuses merchants. So I yeah. think, you know, when you also look at where this market's going with embedded payments, everyone's talking about how can I go to market quickly with little cost, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, build my own company and my own brand and leverage, you know, more of a core platform behind the scenes. And that's what, you know, our focus has been. Hmm. Love it. Love it. So um, my next question, Ben, is, a, is about technology. So we've been talking about how important technology is, embedded payments, integrated payments, all of that. So let's say an ISO is working with Maverick. What is your approach to providing technology to the merchant? So not to the ISO, but actually to the merchant. What are you providing to them and what's your approach to be able to provide the different solutions that merchants need? Because it's, it, is, it is a very complicated thing these days to provide that. It is. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, merchants have gotten a taste for the squares and the stripes of the world, but right. it seems like they tend to, you know, want to work with an ISO partner to have a kind of a personal relationship with. Um, so with our white label dashboard, it's not only ISO and sub agent facing, it's merchant facing. So the dashboard we've built has all the merchant reporting, authorization, batch, payout, chargeback management, fraud tools, um, support tickets. They can set up their employees with permission control. We've, we have our own payment gateway. We have an ACH platform. So with our dashboard, it's not only white labeling it for the ISO office, but it's also for the merchant themselves, which historically you've seen more in the payment gateway market. Um, right. So it gives them kind of everything they need to provide this robust dashboard to merchants. We also have an API for direct integration so they can compete with, you know, on enterprise merchants with companies like Stripe or Braintree. So it's been able to deliver this kind of all in one payment stack that's both ISO and sub ISO facing and merchant facing. So, okay, so that's technology for the merchant. We understand that. And I think everybody kind of gets that. Obviously there's strategic partners, there's in-house solutions, right? And you're pulling all that together. When we think about the technology for the ISOs themselves, right, that historically maybe have used third-party solutions, things of that nature, um, one thing Ali asked is, how do you build a brand without being registered with the card brands? So talk about what does white labeling mean with Maverick? When is it like, well, now we need to be registered? Like, can you talk about that a little bit and what you guys provide on the white label side? Yeah, so our white label is, you know, really a CRM. So if an ISO needs to manage all the portfolio metrics, look at top MCCs, merchants, manage leads. We have a digital online form application, um, sub agents, residuals, support tickets, everything like that is all within our system. Where you draw the line generally is, you know, who is the quote unquote ISO or the service provider listed in the merchant agreement? Whose, you know, statement, uh, logos on the statements, things of that nature that's when you start to kind of cross the line into more of the registered ISO or service provider market. But our system really is, um, you know, again, the CRM that ISOs can take to market to manage kind of the entire flow from onboarding all the way through maintenance um, and management of the accounts. Um, we do have options to register, you know, for larger ISOs that want to be also, you know, be, be able to market as the ISO. But the goal is, 
you know, kind of condense everything in one solution with their branding um, and, you know, provide something that is able to go to market quickly with just really minimal cost. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll say one of the other things interesting about this is the sub-agent experience, right? Because that's a part you can fully white label, if I understand correctly, from day Correct. one. Right. So that's really important because, you know, when you re when you recruit somebody and you hire somebody as a W2 employee and you're like, hey, we have this great company. We have this is our culture. This is our training. And then it's like, oh, and here's where you do all your stuff. And it's branded for somebody else. Yeah. That's also very jarring because they're kind of like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So are you it gives them that question mark where they're kind of like, is this legit? Especially when you're just building a team, it can be very confusing, um, whereas when that whole entire experience, everything that they are doing is branded, it's like, well, yeah, there may be a different, if you're not registered, there's going to be a different name in the agreement for some of that stuff. But it's like, well, that's the processor. But, you know, they understand that everything they're yeah. interacting with to do their job is branded. I just think that's really important, you know, for their experience. Yeah, and that's been a really valuable tool with our um, direct resellers is being able to bring on sub-agents, whether they're other ISO offices or individual, you know, reps like a W-2 um and white label it for them as well because then you have kind of this network underneath you you know we look at it as just this very wide distribution channel where yeah. you're just spreading your you know um your your channel of different types of partners um and it's interesting because most of the business we see coming through our, our platform is from not the direct agent we have so it's one of their sub agents it's around 75 percent so to me that goes to show you know, the, the system's being properly used. Um, right. You can set up, you know, a sub-agent and they can go work their own applications, leads, merchants, they have full visibility. You know, you don't need to hire a data entry person to kind of, you know, take in their applications and submit it to your processor, right. things like that. It's all automated. These next two questions are kind of related. Uh, so I want to talk for just a minute. I don't want to dive too deep into high risk, but I know this is something you guys are really well known for is the high medium risk stuff. And there's a lot of people on here who have probably struggled to find a home for their high risk deals. So talk a little bit, if you would, about portfolio mix. And then I want to talk about how that impacts schedule A splits and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So high risk is interesting because a lot of times it's, it's perceived risk, you know, versus actual risk. Right. Um, and everyone has a different definition. So yeah. um, it was, is interesting with COVID because we saw this surge in card not present and a lot of partners we worked with that historically were low risk. Now we're kind of having to figure out how to deal with high risk. So for example, you can have a brick and mortar liquor store or a smoke shop. Now, you know, they're doing, um, you know, curbside pickup where it's coming in as card not present. And now it's a card not present, you know, tobacco sale. So it's high risk. So we saw right. kind of an influx in that business, but, um, you know, the high risk is, is high risk for different reasons. It can be, you know, high chargeback, financial risk, because there's future booking like travel or something like that, re yeah. uh, reputational risk, regulatory, um, or more compliance heavy. But at the end of the day, you know, to us, it's kind of just maneuvering through, um, you know, the extra underwriting and ongoing risk monitoring. But we see them as emerging markets, right? CBD is one of the biggest ones. How many retail merchants are out there now? And a lot of it is just perceived risk and confusion of the product itself. Right. Um, and it's been great because our system, you know, on our platform has allowed a lot of our partners to expand into these markets that historically maybe they had to say no to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. So, so this next question, everybody, if you if you don't listen to anything else here, like you got to get this one. So, so listen really close because this is a little complicated. It's a topic that just is not understood by really very many of the ISOs that I, I work with, um, and I really want to make sure everybody gets this. So, Ben, here's the question I have for you. So, help our audience today understand this portfolio mix and why a company like Maverick that offers that that sells high risk why you need low risk and how that impacts residual splits, schedule A's and, and things like that. Maybe you can kind of break that down for our audience a little bit. Yeah, so to kind of take a step back, we're you know what I call a full service provider. That means everything is done in house, but also we have our own card brand bins. So we manage the portfolio um, and everything else internally. What that means is we need to have a blended portfolio. It needs to be diversified. Uh, we can't have certain MCC concentrations, the overall fraud dispute levels need to be under certain thresholds. And what this means is the businesses that are running clean or have a lower risk MCC, whatever you know it is on the overall blend that we're trying to accomplish, they give us this value from an overall blend perspective um, which allows us, you know, essentially to offset some of the high risk. And what that means is we can be more aggressive, especially with that low risk because of this blend value it gives us than your typical low risk processors. So with programs we have like zero buy rate or some of our bonus programs, the reason we're able to get maybe more aggressive than other processors, even if they're one of the big ones, it's because they're more low risk focused and we have this you know, kind of balance we have to maintain uh, with the high risk, which, you know, obviously comes with more margin, but it, it allows us to do these programs that, you know, a lot of others can't. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if I can, if I can restate that even a little bit and then tell me if I miss anything, what you, what I heard you say is if you have a processor that is primarily low risk and that's where they're trying to make their money, Obviously, they got to make money on low risk. That's the only possible way to make money. So they have to be really careful when they're negotiating Schedule A's versus a company like Maverick, where there's a, a balance and a portfolio mix between the high risk, high margin accounts. And then we have to offset that with low risk accounts that make the portfolio balanced. You have more of a need for the for the low risk. So you're willing to be maybe a bit more aggressive to get those low risk accounts. Exactly. That right. Okay. All right, cool. So here's what I'm going to do, everybody. So I, I hope you all understood that. I mean, I know that's a little bit in the weeds there, but I, it's so important and it's interesting because it's something just a lot of people don't understand. And you're, you're trying to negotiate like, oh, I want a zero buy rate or I want this residual split. And as you're scaling, like that becomes super important. I mean, even if you're an individual agent, but you're doing 15 deals a month, like that kind of stuff becomes really important. And, you know, you, you no longer need uh, you no longer need as much. You just want the high residual split. And so it's important you find somebody that needs your accounts. It's kind of that supply and demand thing. Last thing I'm going to say really quick is make sure you go to these two links. So if you're still on here right now, take a second right now. If you didn't do it already, go to ccsalespro.com slash maverick and fill out that form there. You can see all the information about Maverick, what they have to offer, but fill that form out. That way the team at Maverick can follow up. It's always a good idea to have these conversations to understand what else is out there, especially if you're looking to scale a team of agents. Um, the other one is ccsalespro.com slash team. Um, we spent a lot of time. I, I feel like I spent a decade writing this one, Ben, because it's like, you know, it's from, it's like, uh, yes. you know, from so much work that was done. Um, but then, of course, working with Maverick to pare it down, to get it right. And so uh, I'm really, I, I really am proud of putting it out because 
first of all, it's so much information that is so valuable because I've used it for a long time. But the other thing is because Maverick worked with me on it and I know they have the tools and the technology and the processing to back you up on this if you're building a team. So go to ccsalesforce.com slash team, check it out. Ben, thank you so much for taking your time to join us today. I really appreciate the insights and just thank you for taking the time to share those with us today. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. It's always good talking with you. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great night.